Many of our listeners are leaders, and it can be easy for any of us to fall into the groove of teaching or leading for mere information or knowledge, and not into the deeper levels of formation and change. Of course, knowledge is important, and we begin there, but transformation must be right on its heels, or the process is incomplete. This is where we're headed today on the Unhurried Living Podcast. My guest today, Diana Shiflett, has written a very practical and hands-on book entitled Spiritual Practices in Community. And it gets at what I said earlier about moving from knowledge to formation. Diana lists a multitude of ways we can encounter God together, not just to learn about God, but to experience God in community. I can't wait for us to dig into this conversation. But first, here's a little bit about Diana. She's the pastor of spiritual formation at Naperville Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. She's an adjunct professor of youth ministry at North Park University, and she's a spiritual director. And again, she's written a book called Spiritual Practices in Community. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Well, we've got Diana Shiflett here, and she's the author, as we said, of Spiritual Practices in Community. So welcome, Diana. Thank you. It's so nice to have you. We met last fall, I think, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Um, at the Apprentice Gathering. So that's another place to make friends, I think. Yes. Yes. And actually, you um, were my friend hero that day because the person that was supposed to journey with me for the weekend got sick. Um, and so I was really alone, alone. And I, I'm not a part of that community normally. It was the first time I was there. So I was so thankful that you said hello and introduced yourself and decided to let me sit with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're easy to sit with. So I guess that's a plus. Easy to become friends with too. So I'm glad we had the chance to hang out a bit while we were there. So we wanted to have you on here because, because of this book that you wrote, of course, at Unhurried Living, we believe in spiritual practices. And um, I love the word practice because it means we actually get to practice, right? So one of the other reasons I love your book is that it's extraordinarily practical. I mean, it's really a how-to for people who want to lead others in these ways. So um, I'm pretty sure that's going to show up in our conversation as this unfolds. But before we dig into that, you open with a great story. And I'd love if you could share with me um, about your epiphany at the fountain. Can we start there? Yeah, sure. So um, years ago, I was um, doing the the frantic leadership where I was um, t- working so hard, trying so hard every day. Um, and I was basically trying to engage with God, uh, uh, probably in a, you know, a time where I was journaling. And um, I was like, it's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And he, he said, yeah, there is. Um, get under my fountain. And instead of um, getting under the fountain and filling your cup up a little tiny bit and then running to people and pouring it into their cup, which only gives them a little bit. And I 
spill it along the way. And what I was realizing that with that concept of filling up at the fountain and running to give it to other people as fast as I could, because that was kind of the way I was doing ministry, um, that also meant half of the time when I was coming back to the fountain, my cup was empty. And I really was feeling that in ministry. I would drive away from the church completely depleted. Um, uh, I've been in church ministry uh, for 24 years. And um, at that point, I realized I cannot sustain this. And he said, I know. So how about if you just stay under the fountain and invite people to come under the fountain with you. And they had this beautiful image of me standing under the fountain with my cup and it was pouring over. And then anybody that I was, you know, trying to minister to um, would come underneath my cup that was just overflowing um, into their cups. And and then their cups were overflowing into the, the people, be, you know, below them or um, whoever they were inviting um, over to the fountain. So it just shifted the whole way I was doing ministry and the way I was engaging with people. Um, and I became much more at rest internally, which is the whole unhurried life that you all talk about. And I, I didn't necessarily change my schedule, but I was changing the way that I was engaging with people rather than it feeling like I had to be the one to mm-hmm. give them what they need. Um, Christ became the one giving people what they needed. And I was just inviting them into his presence. And it just shifted everything in the way that I did ministry. Now, isn't that amazing that it, it's a seemingly simple shift, but until you kind of know about it or do it, it's it's just kind of unknown. I mean, the way you just described it sounds like, oh, well, all I had to do was realize that we're all together here under this fountain. <laughs> but um, it's interesting to me. Can you tell me um, how long ago you had that that image or that vision appear? I'm curious. Yeah, it's, uh, it has to be, I was, I was trying to think about that. It has to be uh, at least 10 years ago, but okay. probably longer than that. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. curious just because uh, one of our main mentors, when we were in our 20s, he came into our life and he has a very, very similar image that I've been living oh. with for for 30 years. And it's the same paradigm shift. Now he had a different way of describing it instead of a fountain. Uh-huh. He talked about a pitcher and a cup, uh-huh. and so that God is the God is pouring the water out of the pitcher all the time. I like the idea of fountain because you've got sort of the fountain of life. Mm-hmm. But his image was a pitcher, and our job was to keep our cup upright, receiving, and and then the same word would come after. Of course, overflow. Yeah, overflow. Yeah. And then you think about my cup overflows from Psalm 23 and it overflows. He had this whole image of pitcher, cup, saucer, plate. So once it overflowed out of your own cup, it would overflow onto the saucer, which is people in your life. And then onto the plate, which is the stuff, sort of the ministry, the tasks, but it was, and then he would carry around literally a pitcher, a cup, a saucer, and a plate, and he would set it on the table when he was teaching so that you would have the metaphor in your mind all the time. Yeah. Um, but when I read that in your book, I just thought it's so fascinating. The spirit, it's, there's one spirit that is granting us all this ability to see that there is a way in which God is pouring and we can receive. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing um, paradigm for any leader, yes. any 
any human because we're all influencing. Mm -hmm. So I was so encouraged when I read that. I wanted to make sure you shared that. So, you know, as I said, there's a lot of leaders who listen to our podcast. So most leaders are good at um, attending to the thirsts of others. Mm -hmm. And then we end up neglecting our own, which you alluded to in your own story and the image of the fountain. Um, How might you encourage us to become and remain satiated? And even as we come to serve, maybe expanding on what you were talking about Mm -hmm. from the fountain. Yeah. Um, so years ago, it, I remember very early on in ministry, uh, squeezing in that 10, 15 minutes in the morning, making you know sure that you had read scripture that day before you um, ran off to work. Um, and uh, now that's probably 20, 20 years ago now that one year for Lent, I was like, okay, I'm going to spend one hour every day. And it has to be within the 24 hours. I can't skip that. I'm going to sit in the presence of God. I can be doing whatever, like journaling, reading scripture, um, just connecting with God. That was the, that was the only thing that was required, um, during that one hour. Um, but I remember one night at 11 PM, I was like, Oh no, (laughs) because I was in youth ministry. So it, you know, you work these crazy hours and, and I was like, no, I made this commitment to God. So I'm going to do it. Um, at the end of Lent, I was thinking, um, I'll be so relieved to be done with the one hour commitment. And what happened actually is I haven't been able to go back from that. Mm. So now I, I am always making sure that there's that time in the morning. And, um, I didn't think I could get up before five o'clock. Um, but with the new job I just took, took on in the last year, there was a longer commute. And so I had to figure it out. I have got to get up in the five o'clock hour. if I'm going to have time for this. And, um, so again, it was kind of, it's kind of a shift thing of thinking instead of, um, I have to, I have to do this thing. It, it has become for me, I get to meet with the living God every day. And, um, I long for that. I actually get excited in the morning. That's my, I I get sad if I'm like, Oh no, I only have an hour. Um, (laughs) it's just a weird, like I never would have believed that this would be something, um, the way I would be, but, but the other piece of that, and part of that is, is the concept of the book is I'm, I never do it exactly the same every day. I'm a person of variety. Um, I love to do different things. And so I make sure that it's something I enjoy rather than um, an obligation. I'm going to meet with my best friend every morning and um, we have coffee together. And um, so, so it's, it's hard to say, I'll just spend more time with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't hear you saying it in that cliche way though. You've, you've made this a practice of relationship. Yes. And I think that's the key. Um, finding your way that relationship works well for you. So if, if your way of um, engaging with friends has been that you are sitting at coffee eye to eye, then maybe that's your way. But if you would rather go for a walk with a friend, maybe think about, oh, that's how 
I would like to engage with God. I'd like to go on a walk. If music is the way that you, you feel fully alive, like Mm. I had to shift because I mean, we all grow up there. Here's the rules. You fold your hands, you close your eyes and that's prayer. Um, and then to the other piece is you open your Bible and you read a lot and that's how you read your Bible. Um, you study it. You don't enjoy it. Um, you're accomplishing a task. You're not meeting with the living God. So I just had to do a lot of shifting. Um, and it took time, uh, to, to get there. And so that's the other piece too, is be really patient with yourself, um, and gracious with yourself as you find your way to enjoying being with the Lord. So you just, you have to practice. And that's why I, I was so excited when University Press wanted to name the book Spiritual Practices in Community yeah. rather than Spiritual Disciplines. Um. <laughs> right. Yeah. That word can have some connotations for some people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love how you're encouraging us to meet with God in the way we're built. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that sort of got lost in translation, I think. And the one size fits all just doesn't. Fit all because we have different ways of taking in the world and in feeling like we're connected. And um, that's what's great about this book. It is so chock full. When I say this is a how to, I hope I'm not make you know belittling it. I'm saying, man, it's there's so many ways to be with God. And you and you give us specific ways into each one. And so I just think um, that's a real gift. So you shared, um, actually, I think near the beginning of the book, you shared if someone was going to take this book, for example, and use it to facilitate a time with others, um, that it's good for uh, them to embrace the spiritual practices before they lead them. (laughs) So it's classic, right? You kind of, um, that's the classic cliche, you know, you can't take someone to a place you've never been. So what would you say to someone who's newer to this idea? What's what? How would what would what should they do next if it's new? This uh, embracing these uh, creative spiritual practices and then leading them. What would you have them yeah. do? Um, so one one of the the things that I have out there are a couple of videos of me leading them. Ah. Um, so my Facebook page, which is just my name, Diana Shiflitz, um, you can you can find my. Facebook page and I have lots of videos. They're not professionally done. They're not amazing. Um, but during this, uh, season where we've been sheltering in place, actually last fall, God was like, you're going to need to start doing, uh, this on video. And I was like, that's not, I don't like that. idea. (laughs) That's not engaging. That's not in community. I want people to be in community. That's why this has such impact. And, um, he's like, just try it, start to figure it out. So I started to, to practice doing videos back in November and December. Um, and, and so there are videos out there of me just with my iPhone and no editing, um, and me leading a spiritual practice. And so you could, you could actually do a video, um, where you could sit in front of uh, your screen and watch me lead you through a spiritual practice. That'd be one idea. Um, the other one is if you do have my book, I lead you through it. You can do it yourself first 
by using the book. And then um, it teaches you how it, it really, you could read it out loud to um, a group of people right after that. And, and they would feel like you've been doing it for years <laughs> um, because it's, someone said to me, this is really accessible. And I was like, that was my main goal. Um, I, I was a youth pastor for 24 years. We do not have time to be reading 28 pages to lead one spiritual practice. <laughs> so give me a one page. How do I do this? And then I'm, I'm going to um, go for it. I would say taking the time to try it yourself is what actually helps you be a really good leader of it. So however you try it out, whether you you do read 28 pages about how to do one of the spiritual practices, or you just read the, the two, two pages um, uh, in my book about the spiritual practice and try it out, um, something will shift in you if you do it yourself versus just trying to lead it with a group. Um, when you when you do it yourself, you realize, oh, I needed more space during this part of it and less space during this part of it, or this part really impacted me. And what happens then when you're leading it uh, is you feel like, oh, I can say, this is what happened for me. And and it's powerful to people. So they, they realize, um, uh, how it actually works. Cause you can talk about it, but you can then also say, this part didn't work for me, but if I'd love to hear if it worked for you. Uh, I always like to leave it um, space at the end of every spiritual practice that I lead in community to say, what did you hate about this spiritual practice? Um, what did you love about it? What was the hardest part for you? Because when people are given permission, I, I remember uh, leading a, a retreat in this I asked that question, like, who hated this one? And this woman raised her hand and just started weeping. She's like, everybody else is hearing from God, but I am not. And I said, I'm so glad you said that out loud. Yeah. Um, and so it's just very powerful. And by the end of the weekend, she had had a breakthrough because she had that permission to say that at the beginning. And then the whole group was praying like crazy for her to, <laughs> to have yeah. that intimate connection to the Lord. That was the first spiritual practice we did. And she said, she, you know, she blurted that out. Um, and it was a three day retreat, I think. And then at the end of the weekend, there were tears again, but they were tears that she had heard, heard from God and felt connected to him again. So it's good. That's wonderful. I, it, um, I love the community aspect that you're describing and how real it is. And um, as you said, that person was describing your book. Um, I can't remember what word you said, but I think usable, practical, oh, they said accessible. Yes. Yes. It's, it is so much that. So thank you for describing that. And I've never heard anybody say, um, tell me what you hated. <laughs> I love that. I've never said that. <laughs> I, it's probably because I were, I worked in youth ministry for so long because they tell you. They'll tell like, you. That was the worst. And you're like, all right, sorry. Well, let's move on. You know, like maybe the next one you'll enjoy. Right. Oh, that is funny. Yeah. Tell me what you hated. Um, I'll have to use that at some point in the future. So it's so freeing. It's so freeing. <laughs> some people just blurt it out. And when you say it, they're shocked that you're willing to hear right. something like that. Right. So it's, right. It's fun in that regard. Keeps it real. Well, um, we all have different personalities 
And, but all of us, no matter what our personality is, we can facilitate these spiritual experiences for other people. Um, But the idea of presence came to mind when I was thinking about that, you know, we can all be different, but there is a way that each one of us in our difference can facilitate presence, right? Um, So how can uh, we sort of um, be, you know, as we lead? How do you encourage us in that? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is to be yourself. Um, One of my friends, I kept hearing his voice as I was writing the book. Um, For years before I wrote the book, he said to me, when are you going to write the book so I can do this like you do this? Um, (laughs) And I said, I said, um, I don't ever want you to do it like I do it. I want you to do it like you, you would do it but I hear you. I hear that you want that very accessible, um, having the right words, the right cadence, the, um, the ability to kind of listen and hear what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying um, in the midst of all that. But you have to be yourself and you have to lead as um, you would normally lead. So if you are someone who's, um, known for being hilarious, don't suddenly get serious because people are like, now it's all fake and I I don't like this. Um, but if you're not funny, don't try to be funny because people are like, what is she trying to do? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't work. Um, so that, that I think has helped me through the years as far as, um, the being part, because God created me um, in a very specific way, in a very unique way. That when I'm when I'm not being myself, I'm not being very well. Um, I'm I'm trying to be someone else, and then I'm not in that really uh, centered space with the Holy Spirit, knowing that that we're doing this together. When I'm trying to be someone else or to put on some sort of facade as I do it, uh, it's hard for me to hear the Holy Spirit. It, it's almost like it, this block because I'm working so hard at, at being someone else. I don't have that, that space um, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak and do his work. And I, I, I talk about at one point in the book that as you're leading these, you have to do it so slowly and carefully because there's, there's three voices that the person listening to you lead is, is listening to mm-hmm. first. They're listening to your voice, the person leading, mm-hmm. then they got their own thoughts going on um, as the second problem, so to speak. But really the whole point of it is to hear that third voice, which is the Holy spirit. Right. And, and if we go too fast with the first two, you know, they, they cannot hear that third voice. So um, you're also kind of trying to do that as the leader, slow down yourself so that you can be present to your voice. Right. The audience's voice, which is when you're leading, it, it can be really loud sometimes even when they're quiet. And then that third voice of you being able to hear the Holy Spirit. And then um, you can lead spiritual practices really well. You can kind of be in that calm <laughs> state. Yeah. 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 It's the, it's really the spirit of, 
um, spiritual direction, isn't it? That listening, there's a, there's a holy listening aspect. Yes. To this. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I had been leading spiritual practices um, for 15 years before I did, did the spiritual direction certificate. Um, And I, I thought to myself, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I needed all of this to be able to, to lead spiritual practices at a whole nother next level. Um, and I think that's where my friend was like, I want to lead them like you do. And I was like, well, you have to do a three year training. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or you can read my book. (laughs) Right. Get my very practical, practical book here. Yeah. That, that's a, that was a paradigm shift for me too. this. There's this idea of, um, easing up like that everything is isn't relying on me mm-hmm. and even though I would say with my mouth of course it doesn't I know God transforms people but still the amount of pressure that I would have put on myself or the amount of pressure I'd feel internally um, to make a change happen um, when that shifted in a big way for me which is really again through the through spiritual direction training and having this complete and utter belief now that God is the one that transforms I can respect the other person exactly where they are and they're on their journey and I get to companion. It's a completely different paradigm than, you know, let me fix you, (laughs) which um, it's quite freeing. Yes. Yes. So much. So I just this last year, I've been leading um, a group. uh, um, It's care night is what it's called. And a couple of them in my, in my little class have said things like, thank you so much. I'm like, oh no, thank you that you let me sit right here on the front line to watch what God did because I literally just watched God yeah. at work in your yeah. life. And that's what, that's what I got to do. Um, yeah. And it, it's so fun to sh- have shifted that way because before I would have had this panic every yes. night that I would lead that group instead, because I would have been the one in charge of making sure they changed. But. Right. Yeah. Well, and those, and people too, who haven't quite stepped into this as a pattern of, of, of facilitation, let's call it facilitating. Um, the proof really is in the pudding because I've led so many retreats and whether we've gave people four or five hours or we gave them five minutes or even sometimes one minute and or even a practice like you're seeing where there were these moments of silence in the midst of talking 100 percent of the time something occurred now oh i can't say it was a revelation necessarily but everyone can have even a momentary encounter with god and that's that's actually the lasting part of the change. And um, I've just seen it so much that you just, if you just know yes. that that's the most important part of what's going on. And you, then you can grow accustomed to stepping back. So I guess, I don't, I don't know if I'm belaboring this point, but since you brought it up, it, it is something that I don't know if I've talked about a lot. Um, leaders, having that posture of um, allowing the movement of God. It's, it's almost as though sometimes we think we're on the radio. You know how radio can never have silence? Yes. yes. Um, it's just not the case. When you allow those spaces that you're talking about, that's when something actually happens. Yes. 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 Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
So, well, so I was, I would say formationally trained in what, um, I guess you could call it group process. It wasn't so much taught as caught. Again, we had these mentors and we were just with them so much in these settings that um, I think there's a way that I can intuit now a, a group process feel. Um, there's kind of an intuition and a, a subjectivity to it. Um, but I think it can be learned because I learned it. So um, I'm wondering if you could speak into that. How would someone learn to lead this way, lead formationally and not just um, typically when we're teaching it's for information and knowledge. Mm-hmm. But how does one teach formationally? Mm-hmm. It, it almost feels like a very similar answer. Okay. Uh, you're paying attention to um, the Holy Spirit again, uh, but also they're in the room, the body language, the um, are they still engaging with with what's happening even in the silence? Um, so a lot of what I do, we do um, silent moments with with everybody in the room, um, and a lot of times I'll have my eyes closed until a certain point, and then um, when I let myself uh, look at the room, I can tell physically by the way people are 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 still engaging there's there's a a depth in the way that their eyes are closed mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's a depth in in the way that they are sitting um, it's it's one of those things where you if you think about even yourself that's one of the things that i i i've trained myself to think oh if i were sitting like that I, it means i'm over it i'm done um, <laughs> and if i'm sitting like that i need 20 more minutes like that. Um, so even, even, uh, self-awareness is really, really key in being good at leading a spiritual practices with a group because you start to understand yourself and, um, it also then in turns helps you understand other people. Um, another big one is if I, I also have people write, uh, during spiritual practices, and I actually watch the room when ha- about half the room is done writing. That means we're all done writing, because what happens is when there's the fast people, <laughs> and there's the people that could journal all day long, right? Right. Um, uh, the fast people then will shift out of the spiritual side of things and they will start to think about how hungry they are, that they need to go to the bathroom, that they, so then they shift out. Um, and that actually can cause the whole room to shift out because Mm. they do get up to go to the bathroom. They do get up to get a snack. They do. It's, it shifts the whole room. So I try to be very aware of how many people are done. Um, and then I, I'll, I'll oftentimes say something like, if you're still writing, you can write more later. Um, um, or I'll start to debrief and say, if you're still writing, go ahead. Does anybody want to share what? Um, yeah. They, and, and that way, the people that are still writing have full permission to keep writing. Um, but the person that was about to shift out of that spiritual realm that they were in, get drawn back in to to think, oh, I do, I do want to share what just happened. Um, 
really fast for me and it takes someone 20 minutes. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. I'm glad you brought up the word debrief actually, because that takes me straight into the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, Because this kind of facilitating, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of subjectivity to it, right? There's personal, our personal experience. There's what's going on in the room. um, There's feeling all of that. And, um, and a lot of times when we teach, we aren't debriefing, but with spiritual practices, we usually do, especially if there's been some kind of journaling or so- silence or solitude and you want to have feedback. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love for you to talk more about debriefing as an art form, um, helping uh, to guide and be, again, that kind of presence that will draw out the people as they're unpacking what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your guidance there? Yeah. So um, the first thing I try to do before I even ask to for people to share is uh, right as we come out of the spiritual practice, I'll say, go ahead and jot one one thing down that felt significant to you, um, because then the introvert gets to actually pause and have a moment be, um, before to get to to think it through. The extrovert gathers all their millions of thoughts <laughs> and writes down one thing. Um, so it, it helps both the introvert and the extrovert to do the, just jot, jot something down. It also gives everybody in the room, the bravery to know something did happen, something significant happened. So then when I say, does anybody want to share? All they have to do is look at their piece of paper and they're like, I can share because I wrote down this sentence um, about what felt significant to me during that time. So that's one of my favorite ways to get the whole room engaged. Um, and I'll even, if I can tell that people are hesitant at the beginning, I'll say, just, you can just read what you wrote um, or you can, and, and that really seems to help. The other thing um I am fine with silence in that that uncomfortable little piece when most people fill it with with it. You know, so if I say, uh, anybody want to share what felt significant to them? I can be quiet then. (laughs) There's a lot of people that cannot do that. Yeah. So if you are a leader even biting your tongue at that moment. I used to do when I was first learning how to do this, I actually would count backwards in my head. Five, four, three, oh. two, one. Cause I'm thinking no one will die in five seconds, right? No one will, will implode. <laughs> um, right. And this is the worst um, thing that's ever happened. If, but it, but as the leader, at times, five seconds can feel like an eternity when no one's chiming in. But what I've noticed is if I can give that five seconds of complete silence, more people will chime in. And one of the things that I've learned over the last few years um, are that, and this probably is a gross overgeneralization in some ways, boomers learned that you always interrupt. That's how you get into the conversation. Mm. You interrupt the other person. That's fine. I mean, some people think that's rude, but boomers don't. Um, Millennials and younger, especially Gen Z, 
will never interrupt you. They will wait and wait and wait until there's enough silence that they know it's their turn. They've spent most of their lives uh, in the device world. Um, And so they always had time to process when they would type the next thing. So they actually need a little more um, room to know when it's their turn. Whereas someone who's a boomer now, Gen Xers have to speak both languages. So they have kind of the ability to be interrupters or people that can wait. Um, But again, this this is just my observations when I lead groups that I notice um, who interrupts and who waits. uh, Because it's not just introvert, extrovert when it comes to that, I've noticed. Oh, that is so interesting. Oh, this is, this opens the door to a whole nother realm of conversation that's fascinating to me. Um, depending on the chart you read, I'm the oldest, I'm the very oldest Xer. Okay. Or the very youngest boomer. I'm not sure which one. So, so you probably have learned to do both. As you said that, yeah, I've realized I do. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I have I can see myself going both directions depending on whatever the situation is. But that's a whole fascinating conversation in and of itself. That we'll have to do have that conversation some some other time. It's oh, just but, observation. So I'm not yeah. even read anything about it. Yeah, interesting. No, well, this is so what I've I was just jotting while you were talking, there's words that came to mind about um about you and about the way you are encouraging us to lead. And so some of these words that emerged were, um, you have clearly you have expertise, um, but you have a heart. And there's an intuition there that's practiced. Um, and because it's community, there's also there's, there's inclusivity. Like you're thinking about the introverts and the extroverts and the people who finished fast and the people who finished slow. Um, you're relational and you're real. Um, I appreciate all of those things about you and the way so much, I just learned so much about you by the way that you care for your people, um, as you're leading. And so I just want to say thank you, um, for, for being here. Thank you for writing this book. And again, it's called spiritual practices in community. And if you want to really dig in there, this is a great resource for you to know how. And I think based on what we said earlier, it's probably good if you pick it up and just start practicing the practices yourself mm-hmm. and see how God leads you forward. So I'm wondering, Diana, um, before we really close, is can you remind us one more time? Um, first of all, is there one more thing you want to say about the book? <laughs> and then second of all, what are the ways that we can connect with you online and on social media? Okay. So my favorite part of the book. Okay. I just have to tell you about it um, because it wasn't my idea, except that it was a little bit my idea and they made it happen. In the back of it is an index. And so by alphabetical order, you can look it up. So if you're like, oh, we did that one thing. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. And um, so it's really fast and easy to look up breath prayer or Bible art journaling, centering prayer. It's all alphabetical because the the book is set up as silence and then scripture um but if you wanted to go to a spiritual practice really quickly it's in the index oh nice oh thanks for telling us that good 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 well then um so how else can we uh find you You said you're on facebook are you elsewhere yeah so um facebook i'm also i've posted a lot of the videos on our um church web uh 
Facebook page as well. It's Christ Community Church Aurora Campus. And uh, a lot of videos are there because I've been trying to minister to my people while not being with them. Um, but then I also, I have um, a web a web page, spiritualpracticesincommunity.blog. I don't actually blog mm. on there, but it it um, they, there are a couple of resources there for free. So if you're like, I don't know if I want to spend a lot of money on a $12 book. Um, that's not that's not a lot of money. <laughs> um, and I think right now um, for Shelter in Place is only $3.99 on Kindle. Um, yeah. So Do it, really yeah. On there, there's four spiritual practices that are free and they're just one page. So if you wanted to print it off and do it, and these are great to do online with people. I I have been doing them online um, via Zoom. I did a three-day retreat with a, a group of people on Zoom, a group of pastors. So they're really accessible that way. And there's a couple other resources there too that could be be helpful. Good. Well, we'll make sure all of these um, links are in the show notes um, and on the blog so people can click away. So again, thank you so much for being with us and um, blessings to you. Thank you, Jim. Diana and InterVarsity Press have graciously offered the first chapter of Spiritual Practices in Community to you, our podcast listeners. You can gain access to this bonus resource on our website at unhurriedliving.com slash podcast bonus. You'll be granted access to an online resource page that lets you download all of our past bonuses, and it will update with new bonuses as they become available in upcoming podcasts. So again, go to unhurriedliving.com slash podcast bonus. And also, if you'd like early access to extended video recordings of these podcast interviews, you can get that by joining our Unhurried community. We continued our conversation after this podcast, and we dove into more questions on today's theme. So learn more at unhurriedliving.com community. And as always, we love connecting with more and more friends like you who want to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better.